0: Welcome to Muslims Doing Things, a podcast about extraordinary Muslims and their career journeys. I'm really excited to meet today's guest, not only because I've been following her on social media forever, but you've probably seen her on
1: TV. Amanda, what do you do? (laughs) Thank you so much. I've also been following you on social media for quite a long time, so this is uh, such a delight for me on this. Sunday morning. Thank you. Um, what do I do? I'm a chef. Um, and it took me a really long time to even say that confidently or even to say that out loud. But I'm Amanda and I'm a chef. Amazing. And you're a TV personality chef. <laughs> I am. I've had the great privilege and opportunity to cook for Gordon Ramsey and Joe Bastianich and Aaron Sanchez and Christina Tozzi. Um, And it's been such an incredible journey in food.
0: I can't wait to hear about this. It's such a cool
1: and definitely different career path. Um, So where were you born? I was born and raised in Dearborn um, to Lebanese immigrant parents. Uh, My parents both came as children um, from war-torn Lebanon. My dad was actually born in Jordan because his family escaped uh, the Lebanon uh, civil war and went to Jordan. And then they came here. My dad was three when he came and my mom was seven, um, so super young, and they got married, had us, um, and they were always, like, you have to get the highest level of education possible. Um, You know, they didn't have the opportunity to go to college, and they were, like, just so keen on that, so for me, food wasn't even an option, because, like, what's, you know, a trade school? What's culinary? Um, It was, like, get a doctorate degree. I didn't do that either, but that was the plan initially. Um, but I, uh, went to Weenstee University, um, for undergrad and graduate school, got my master's in social work and began a career working in healthcare. And I needed an outlet. Like that was like one of the biggest things in social work schools, like self-care, self-care, self-care is the first time I had heard about this before it was like all the trend post COVID and all of these things. Um, and 2012. And I was like, I love to cook. So that's going to be my outlet. I'm not going to run marathons. That's not my thing. I'm not going to like do all of these different things that people do for self-care that are very efficient. But for me, it was creating in food. And so you're a social worker, you're in Dearborn. Um,
0: you're. I feel like you're also the classic Dearborn story where your parents came as kids and were more or less, you know, American for all intents and purposes, like grew up definitely probably with a bit more of an understanding of American culture than Lebanese culture. And, um, were you cooking while you were like undergrad and while you were a kid was food yeah. big in your house?
1: Yeah. Food was like the big connector, it's like so many families, but also for our family. So my grandparents actually owned a produce store in Dearborn for 35 years. My dad took it mm-hmm. over from them once they retired. So I was like in food, like fresh fruits and vegetables are my thing. Like, I grew up with, like, every exotic fruit and vegetable and all the things because we had access to it. And on Saturdays growing up, um, I'd go to the Eastern Market, which is, like, a huge open um, produce market in Detroit, um, the oldest. And we had a fruit stall, and I would sell fruits and vegetables with my family. Like, that's what I did. And I really took um, a liking to baking. So growing up and through undergrad, it's actually how I supported and just had, like, extra Spending money in undergrad was selling cakes. Um, So I'd bake for people and sell cakes for, you know, birthdays, my cousin's birthdays, my friend's engagement party, whatever it was. Um, So food was always super important in my life.
0: You know, it's interesting. We grew up with a lot of fruit trees, um, which is different, but it's similar in the sense that like waste plagued us. So I got really good at fruit, like citrus, Um, persimmon I can do a lot of things with the persimmon pomegranate I put in everything and I wonder if what motivated you to a certain extent was like preventing waste because it's always so ingrained at least in multiple like Islamic culture is not to waste right so did you ever
1: feel like oh gosh like there's all this like stuff that's going to go bad from the market I got to like do something with it Definitely. So we were like really big. And I love that you bring up that's part of like our Islamic identity, because for me, like giving back to the community and like feeding those that don't have as much food as my family did was just second. It's just what we did. So whenever there was like, you know, a case of apples that were about to go, we take it to the homeless shelter. And that was Regular on a regular basis and we'd help them cook it up. We'd make apple butter, whatever we could. Bananas were like always the thing with the market. So my mom actually was known for her banana bread and we'd make hundreds of loaves and give them out to the neighbors, to whoever people would like call my mom. Do you have banana bread? Yes, of course. So yes, just like ingrained in. Every aspect, don't waste food.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, see, like I, I I totally see where you're coming from. Funny enough, um, so we've had COVID this past week, and usually I go to my parents' house around this time of year to get persimmons and pomegranate. It's like that's my thing. I you will I will drop dead before I will drop buy one of those from the market. Like something is so deeply ingrained in me that I will never purchase a persimmon because we have so many in my parents' house. And yesterday I actually went on Facebook on a buy nothing group because most people don't like them and they grow so prolifically and they go to waste and was like who has a persimmon tree? Like, I want a bag of persimmons. And somebody, lo and behold, immediately was like me, come pick them up. Like, you know, I live at XYZ place. So it's, it's really like, once you have those principles ingrained in you, they really dictate so much of what you do. So I'm not surprised that you kind of came from like a background in food and started to develop these skills. And so you're in college, you think you want to be a social worker. Um, did you choose social work because it spoke to you? Or was it just something that
1: made sense and it felt like it was something the world needed? Um, Well, in undergrad, I realized quickly, like I was not going to become a medical doctor. I was like, whoa, blood like freaks me out. Um, Organic chemistry is not my thing. Like, this isn't for me. Like, it's not who I am. I'm like, a very creative person. And, you know, the science in that way didn't speak to me. So I went to, so I was talking to like my advisor and she's like, you should go to the school of social work open house. And I did. And I was like, oh my gosh, this makes total sense. I can be around people. I can connect with my community. And it's, there's so many transferable skills with MSW. I was like, if I decide later in life that I don't want to practice social work, it's an easy transition because I'm learning skills that can take me anywhere. And do you find that like, in terms of
0: social work, it can go in so many different ways. Um, In terms of Dearborn, the community, which happens to be a predominantly Muslim, and I would even go so far as to say Arab community, um, is there more of a need for social workers that kind of understand the culture? Like, do they play a big role culturally?
1: Where do you fall culturally there? Absolutely. Um, There was such a significant need, especially with a lot of the refugee resettlement and just like understanding cultural norms um, with the families that are coming We had a big wave come from Syria. So I worked at a nonprofit here, Zamen, um, and we were able to help with like furniture and clothing and getting the home set up so like understanding and I was able to train my colleagues and like okay this is what you should expect when going into the home you know you're probably not going to shake dad's hand and that's okay like this is what we do um you know you might be offered tea and tons of sweets please eat them please drink them like this is all part of the experience even though you're going in to help them they're going to shower you with hospitality and warmth and love as well um and there's definitely a significant need. And one of my favorite social work jobs actually was being in the field, going to people's homes. Cause you have a whole new perspective on the life of your neighbors in a way that is so intimate and close, um, that you don't get in a clinical setting. So when I worked in the hospital, you know, it's super clinical. You're in a hospital setting. When I worked in, uh, in therapy, when people came in for their appointments, um, also cl- you don't get to know them in a way that's so deeply personal is when you go into their homes.
0: You know, I'm seeing a story arc develop from you guys being a grocery family that was able to contribute to the community and give back to you actually going into people's homes mm-hmm. and kind of ensuring that your colleagues are acting in respectable ways there. Um, and I'm so curious to know, so you're, you're a social worker, you start cooking. Is it like pretty? Like wh- why did you put it online? How did you kind of start developing an online presence?
1: So post-grad from uh, social work school, I moved to Seattle and I had all this free time and it was the time for me to be creative and actually make art with my food in a way that I hadn't had the opportunity before. When I was at home, it was like everyone was jumping, trying to eat and like, are you done? Like, what is this? And it was around the time where like food blogging started to become super popular. Um, So I started a blog, amandasplate.com and just shared my recipes and people were like, oh my God, it's so pretty how you present things and how you do it so i started teaching people that way and um a few years later i was watching master chef and it was like are you a home cook who makes great food and i was like yeah that's me i'm i'm a home cook and i make great food um and it was basically a call for an open audition in la i had no experience with tv audition like none of this i was just like diving in ignorantly like whatever like i'm just going to try like why not why not me um so i to LA um cooked in this incredible restaurant kitchen, which I can't even believe the chefs allowed me in their kitchen because I was just a random phone call. I just picked up the phone, hey, can I use your kitchen? And they were like, yes. And I was like, perfect. And it was the water table um restaurant in Huntington Beach, California, like right across from the ocean. Just incredible. Um, and I made my Betlewa cheesecake for the first time and took it to this open audition uh, in LA to be on MasterChef. And they loved it.
0: <laughs> you know, there's, there's like so many cultural moments that are happening as you're talking about this. Like, first of all, you talked about blogging in 2012, 13. Is that about when you started? Yep. And that was like the true rise of like the Instagram blogger, right? When people kind of had to have blogs to like become public figures. And then you went to interview for Chef around 2015. Is that right? Yeah. So that's like the beginnings of the Donald Trump era. He's running for office. People want Muslims to be visible. So there are all these things happening kind of in the background as you're just progressing and you're like, "Well, I like to cook and I want people to eat and see what I do." And so what was the audition like?
1: How many was people were there? Intim- yeah, t- tell me about it. It was so intimidating. Um there were like at least 10,000 people there. It was LA. It was huge at this huge convention center. 10,000 people I- watching? they're just like watching you audition? No, they're auditioning too. What? Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> 10,000 people show up with some version of a baklava cheesecake. Yes. Oh with goodness. their
1: coolers with like, it looks like they've camped out for days. Like it was crazy. Wait, um, this and- is blowing my mind.
0: I don't know why this is so <laughs> surprising. It's a super popular show, but this is blowing my mind and how, like, okay, keep going.
1: <laughs> I love it. I know. I, I, I I'm so glad I did it ignorantly because if I knew what was to come, I probably wouldn't like, what, this is crazy. And so weird. Um, But like all these people and you stand in the super long line and they bring you into like these rooms. And then there's like a panel of like chef judges and they walk around the room and they don't try everybody's food. And then they stop at mine and they try it and they just take note, don't say anything and then walk away. And I was like, what? Is going so some on. people
0: don't even get their food tried they just like stand there like they're like the last kid picked in kickball oh that's so sad I'm so it is it's <laughs> so sad like what do you have to do to be noticed like
1: wear a hijab or just like smell better <laughs> like this is so interesting probably probably all of those things I mean at the end of the day it is tv so like I understand like they're looking for care package marks. yes not just a
0: cheesecake <laughs> a package
1: yes carry yeah. on <laughs> so then you like go into another room and you wait and you're just like sitting in like this conference room and then they call your number and you go into another room and I'm like okay I think that's good but then some people would come out of that room and like go home and we're like crying so I wish they showed this because it's kind of like the American Idol auditions where people like are crying they don't get their number called but then I got it called into this other room and then we had to do like this pop quiz about like culinary so they would have like an ingredient an artichoke. I thought it was silly and very basic, but they really wanted to test your culinary ability. Um, so like they'd have like a mandolin they'd be like, what is this? And like quickly like flashcards with like 12 people standing in a row, like 12 other potential contestants. Um, and then from there, they'd call your number to like the next round. And then you had to meet with like a psychologist, a private investigator. (laughs) They had to make sure you're not bad shit crazy (laughs) this should be the show like this should be the show they don't even need to cook after this (laughs) right because just like to even go through it I think you have to be a little bit crazy. because every step of the way I'd like check in with my family I'm like do I keep doing this it's kind of weird and they're like yeah this is so cool like tell us what they do next (laughs) and it's all one day just
0: like one cluster of a day
1: um so one day and then more interviews over the course of three months
0: Okay. So, so you meet a PI, you do a background check, you meet a psychologist, you're smell the best and have the cutest cheesecake and you know, you wear the hijab. So for some reason you make it far. So keep, keep telling me about this. This is so wild.
1: So then three months later, they, I get an email and it was like, you're invited to potentially compete on master chef. Um, so you need to like leave your job for three months and leave and like you fly out next week. Can you make it? And I was like, oh my god how am I gonna tell my supervisor and like you sign an NDA you can't like tell anyone that doesn't need to know um so I I told my supervisor like I'm doing a show and I might be gone for three months but I might only be gone for a week and she's like how are we gonna accommodate for that (laughs) so so did you get fired or slash quit you leave no, so they kept me on per DM because there's always, like, you know, a need for social workers. So, like, take as long as you need. When you come back, you'll have a job, and then we'll figure out, like, what Very it'll look fortunate. Like. Very fortunate, which I imagine isn't the case with everybody. Exactly. Like, some people really had to, like, quit their jobs and, like, leave everything behind and, like, go. Um, but, so I go to L.A., and then there's a 100 people. So we're still, like, auditioning during this, but I'm like, why are there so many people? They took our phones. As soon as we got to the airport, they took our phones. Like, that was that. Um, it's changed in 2021, the second time around for Masterchef back to when, but they took our phones immediately and we had no contact with the outside world. Um, and then we cooked and we, they tasted our food. We cooked some more producers would come in and talk to us while we were cooking to see how well we can multitask, I suppose. And all huh. of that. <laughs> and to probably see if you had like a personality to be like, do right. we really need to like, will this person get us airtime? Exactly um and then from there they narrowed it down to 40 and then we had to battle for an apron and that's when all the craziness began
0: <laughs> so there's 40 people at this point and you may or may not make it and you're battling for an apron do you, what does that look like are you still cooking and talking and like when you woke up in the morning what were you optimizing for
1: in hopes of getting selected and were you able to find like blogs and stuff to help you figure that out there's not a lot just because our NDAs are so tight. There were a few that I'd read, but like I'd go at like every morning I would like, I had my routine. That was like the best routine. There was no distractions. I had no internet, nothing. Like it was like the best time to like maximize on like self wellness and discipline. So I'd wake up, I'd pray, I'd do yoga, I'd meditate, I'd write, I'd journal and be ready in the lobby at 5am uh, Pacific time to go to set. And then my my like mindset was just like, do the best you can and have fun. Like every time I talked to my mom, she'd be like, just have fun. Like, don't like, yeah, you want to win and do the best you can, but like have fun through it. Cause I'm super like type A and like want to be the best and like want to be number one. I'm like, I'm not coming here to make friends. Like I'm coming to be master chef. <laughs> um, but I was grateful for like my mom, like grounding me, like have fun through it. Cause like whatever's going to happen, going to happen. It's so much bigger than, you know, the food Um, and bigger than me. So just have fun in the process.
0: And at this point, I mean, everybody cringes when they get a question like this, but it's important to note. I know there's another hijabi chef, I believe um, Nadia is her name, right? Who's in the UK. Between you and Nadia, and I'm not sure who came first and who came second, is that effectively it in terms of like women who cook in hijab on TV in the West? Do you know?
1: Nadia is amazing. I literally cried watching her on the Great British Baking Show because it's, a superior culinary, uh, competition. I think, um, she came after, after me, there are a few, no one that's been on the national platform in this way. Um, which is so disappointing because all of the incredible people I know and cook and, and that are doing incredible things in culinary, um, are Muslim women and hijab. Yeah. So why is this, you know, why is it just us like right now? But you're,
0: you are the first begrudgingly, but you're the first yes. <laughs> people hate the question. It's important to know. I mean, like our, our history and the reason I ask is like, our history is very recent, right? Like we're, 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 we're making history right now. I was talking yesterday, uh, the, the interview I posted today is my friend Zane and she's a comedian and, um, she's constantly getting roles for, um, very like Muslim focused, Muslim focused roles. Right. Like, and she's like, I, I will audition for a funny neighbor it won't say hijab. And I have to convince them I'm like, it's okay. A funny neighbor can wear hijab, right? Like we're, we're not so limited, but anyhow, so you're, um, top 40, your mom's saying have fun. You're like, absolutely not. I'm going to win. And what
1: what do those days look like? So stressful and so long. Again, this is like my first like glimpse into like Hollywood TV, like any of this you know, some people there were part of like SAG and some people like had done other shows and like knew the industry. And like, we're really trying to be on TV, good chefs too. But like, we're trying to be on TV and I'm like, I don't know what is going on. I was like one of the few um contestants that wardrobe didn't have to like buy clothing for or style. They're like, yes, what you wear is great. And I was like, okay, that's a win. I'm going to you know, hold this confidently. And like, no one's trying to change who I am or what, you know, how I present myself. Um, The days were long. So we'd arrive on set by like 6am, 7am. And they'd have like some catered breakfast that always had like bacon or something that I couldn't eat in it always. So I'd have like a banana and like granola or something. Um, and then we'd start filming and it was, you know, film until lunch because all of the crews were unionized. Um, we were not, so we, you know, were always worked to the max unpaid, um, which is interesting because it's the loophole with the, you know, big prize shows. Um, and then we'd film, 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 do our confessionals or behind the scenes with the producers. And then it'd be like 10 PM and then back to the hotel and do the same thing over the next day. And by this point, do you know you're
0: on the show or are you still fighting for that spot?
1: By that point, I knew I was on the show. I'd gotten my apron and that was six weeks of that schedule, basically. H- how many
0: How many people make it to the show
1: ultimately? Uh, 20 are like the primary cast and contestants. And then 20 of us are battling it out each week for the title. So out of
0: literally 10,000 people, 20 of you end up getting that apron. It that's this is so wild. And can you explain to me the unpaid thing? So, because it's a prize show and you're working for as a competition, you're you don't
1: have to be paid, right? Yeah, so we get like a daily stipend, like 20 bucks or 40 bucks or something. And I mean, that was like a DoorDash, yeah, actually, not right. (laughs) Order DoorDash (laughs) in LA, (laughs) you were you were doing
0: like McDonald's drive through at that point, maybe, maybe, you know, for two meals a day. Um, that's wild. So, okay, you're on the show and, and are you cut off from civilization still you're not allowed to be on social media yeah. so for six weeks you don't have your Instagram you don't know what's going on and nobody
1: knows where you are I'd get like one five minute phone call a week so I call like, my family five a week yes <laughs> <And> that's exactly <laughs> that's what it time. felt like <laughs> you get more nuts. time in prison yeah <laughs> you do you do um because I researched it after because I felt like so <laughs> it's like how they create like such like uh emotionally charged environment oh, while cooking. you're cut off from all your supports you don't really have a lot of outlets because you're always on set so even if you like to work out Same. if you like to, so when that's why you always see people crying on these shows oh, <laughs> so fascinating
0: and what's also interesting about cooking which a lot of I mean I literally started cooking like three days ago and I still, I I told myself I didn't like it recently. I decided I liked it. So I'm like, by no means an expert, but I will tell you, it's actually physically very grueling. And that's what was surprising to me. And my friends who do work as chefs or who do work in the industry, constantly getting burnt, constantly like, you know, there's literally physical responses to cooking all day due to either accidents or just kind of being in in the smoke all day. So on top of the emotional distress, you're like physically distressed. You're using your hands in heat all day and knives and whatever it is
1: oh yeah medics were like on standby for oh my goodness you know, cuts and burns and people just exhausted um and now that i cook regularly and i do big events after a big event i schedule at least a day of downtime for myself so i just did an event this friday Saturday. yesterday was like just we're chilling because i need my body to rest you're on your feet you're lifting heavy things going above below especially as a short person in the kitchen like it's exhausting and I feel it but I I like stop myself and do like a retro after every event and I'm like okay it's so hard and I'm so tired but I love this and this is what I'm meant to do.
0: Yeah no definitely and how'd the show go.
1: The show was great. So season six, um, I was eliminated um on my birthday. It was my twenty sixth uh, birthday. And not. we had to make a birthday cake, and I was like the expert cake baker. my cake just didn't work that day, but uh, and it was, you know, I had to get lots of therapy after that because I felt like, so you know, that was like the first time in my career in my academics and anything that I pursue that I' felt like I'd failed. Huh. Um, and I'm grateful for that lesson now, because if I, t- I didn't learn it until I was 26, because anything that I wanted to do, I was able to do, you know, I wanted to be class president. I was class president all four years of high school. Yeah. I, you know, wanted to be a social worker. I was able to finish undergraduate in three years and get my graduate degree and still finished ahead of my peers. Like I was always able to meet the goals that I set out and the goal of becoming master chef just didn't happen for me um and it took a lot of work and just like introspective work um to understand that that it's okay and I'm still great even though I lost on a birthday cake challenge
0: (laughs) you know nobody talks about that nobody talks about the because it's entertainment at the end of the day right we're watching it we're rooting for you and then you lose or get eliminated or whatever the right terminology is. And we're just like, ah, and then we're on to the next thing. Right. But like, it's <laughs> actually a person behind this who's like, no, this is, this is what I do. And this is what I'm very good at. And like, yes, it didn't work out today because I spent 15 minutes total in the last three weeks talking to my parents and can't even call my friends. And the person next to me is driving me crazy. I'm making that up. She didn't tell me that, whoever the person was next to her, but like, you know, you kind of just have to deal, <laughs> deal with all these things. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And you're like in a competitive environment. Um, so I'm so curious. I'm always curious about this. When you're giving your phone back and you turn it on, you probably just live in a different world, right? You have all these followers, you're Googling your name, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Take us through the minute Amanda got her phone. Like what happened as soon as you were kind of set free?
1: Um, well, one of the biggest pieces of news that, um, coming out of that was the, the shooting of, um, Razan and Dia and, um, mm. I forget her sister's name. Um, but you're that was like, yes, sir. Um, thank you. Um, and I was like, whoa, whoa, like it's different for Muslims in America now than when I went into this bubble. Um, and it, took a long time to process because everyone had had that time to kind of like process and grieve and do like the collective community and I was just like reading about it and learning about it and um so we couldn't even post about the show until it aired in May so we filmed in January um and then it was like five months basically of like minimal online presence so even the things I was trying to share and post um I didn't feel like I can be there fully Um, because there were so many restrictions and I just didn't want to like cross any lines and get sued by Endemol Shine or Fox or anyone Um, but it was really heavy and like you said it was like around the time when Donald Trump was coming um, into his presidency and you know it's when he called for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims coming into the country and just like watching and seeing that and seeing people cheer um, as he said that like that was also like the first time in my life that I felt different and that I Mm. didn't feel like I belonged in America. So growing Mm. up in Dearborn, I mean, yeah, I wore hijab. I was maybe one of like five or six in my high school, Um, but it didn't feel other. I didn't feel different. It was just, okay, whatever. Like it felt safe. It felt, I felt comfortable and confident being who I was and expressing all the ways that I am a Muslim Um, until Donald Trump. And then I was like, ooh,
0: I'm other. And it's wild because like by the time the show aired and people were following your journey is really when his campaign was picking up. So, I mean, if I were in your shoes, I would have probably seen it as an opportunity to take advantage of it and be like, well, you know, this is the time at this point I've already done the show. I've gone through the mental trauma. Like I'm going to collect followers because I'm going to build a platform and I'm going to do something with cooking, but I'm going to collect followers. Like how did you kind of go through the period in which the show is being aired. And I always forget that like, you guys aren't actually there when it's like being aired, you know, like you're literally on the outside probably watching the episodes and seeing what's going on. Um, but how did you navigate that time? And did you turn to other people in reality TV to figure out what to do with yourself?
1: That's a great question. So I wasn't like even actively thinking about like the platform and I wish I would have. And this second time around I did. And I'm like, okay, I really need to like hone in on this opportunity and maximize it. Um, because it is really important and it's not vain or selfish and all of these things these notions that I had before um, about like building these things but when Donald Trump came um, I did see a unique opportunity I'm like I have to do something and what I'm going to do is cook for people in my community who have never met a Muslim and that's when dinner with your Muslim neighbor started and it was Very like simple. And I didn't have like a grand plan. I was like, I'm just going to put a Facebook post out, make it public. Hopefully my colleagues and friends will share it with other people. And I was able to host 30 dinners and it went across the country, um, with thousands of people, um, at my dinner table. Um, just talking about life, religion, politics, the taboo topics that we never get to talk to our neighbors about. Um, and enjoy a delicious meal
0: that's such a cool way to kind of use your skills and even you know the the clout that you built being a public figure and your identity at kind of this really important time in history and then when it was all said and done did you have like withdrawal what happened after the show was over um are you a social worker still are you like i'm just gonna be a chef full time
1: yeah, so uh, after the show, so 2016, 2017, moved back to Michigan, um, had my daughter Hannah, and then decided I'm going to stop being a social worker and I'm going to pursue food. Um, so I opened a bakery, um, had a bakery for a few years. It was just before COVID, um, and that that chapter was closed I will relaunch inshallah in the future. It was way too taxing with a toddler, like, and waking yeah. up at three AM making sourdough. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Again, I just like jumped in. I was like, I love this. It's a good opportunity. Um, that didn't uh, last, but that's okay because I learned so much and now I know what to do differently um, during Butterbear 2.0. If that's even going to be the name. <laughs> that's amazing. And so, um,
0: but but you went back to it. Like what? how did you end up back on TV again?
1: So the producers reached out and they're like, we're doing this season back to win and it's all previous contestants um, from the 11 previous seasons. Do you have what it takes? Do you want to come back? And I was like, why not? <laughs> Let's do this thing again and cook for Gordon Ramsey again. You know, he's just an incredible larger than life person. Who actually like mentors and cares about the contestants um it's a lot different than health kitchen on master chef um and he just gives these like gems like these just little nuggets and like just i held on to all of that so i went into back to win a lot differently like my perspective my mindset i was like i'm gonna learn as much as i can and make the most out of this opportunity so that was the mindset going into season 12 because i you know, had the previous experience and then all the life that I'd lived in those six years. And at this point you have a toddler who is back home. So like me looking at this, I'm
0: like, you have an incredible support system. I know that's not easy. I'm going away. I think like this Thursday and Friday and I'm like, Oh, my husband's the best for like even watching the kids for those two days. (laughs) Yep, And
1: the mom guilt never went away. Um, you know, it was something we talked about. So we watched season six together and she saw, and she like, she loves food. I think as much as I do, I hope because we do so many things around food. And then we watched the show together before, you know, I left and my family is so incredibly supportive. And yes, the support system was amazing. And this filming time was going to be abbreviated due to COVID. So they're like, we're going to be on a much stricter schedule. So for this time, the maximum you'd be gone um, was eight weeks. So I was like, okay, that's much better than the 12 or whatever it was initially um and then I was like we'll see how far I even go like I'm not I'm not worried about you know being gone for too long and, and
0: how did you go in what were, what was different about the second time around and how did it go
1: um what was different was like I was a lot more confident I knew my voice in food I was like I'm gonna kill it like whatever it is and I also had the understanding of like okay this is a produced show on network television and I know who audiences like, and that's okay, but I'm going to do the best that I can and have fun. Um, and I, I think I did amazing this season. Um, I won uh, immunity pin for filet fil, So, you know, just like simple food that's executed beautifully. That's true to me. Um, I was in the top three, three times. Um, and then I was eliminated during the wall challenge, which ironically enough, we walked into the kitchen. And I'm like, why would you build a wall like tear down all the walls like I'm like is this symbolic is like you know at the end of the day it's again it's on Fox and it's (laughs) I know who this audience this viewing audience is
0: (laughs) and so you're you're eliminated that time around what was different about your feelings when you were eliminated this time around
1: I was still super sad and I didn't feel that it was warranted for my team to be eliminated. But, you know, that's how television goes. Um, But I was like, I was fine with it. I was like, this is the decision and that's fine. And now I'm going to run with it. And I'm going into food full time. And what what did that actually mean going to food full time this time around? Um, Cooking a lot of savory things. So I've always been focused on pastry and dessert and I had the bakery. Um, but I was like, I need to get into the kitchen and get into the heat and steam and fire. Like you said earlier, I was like, I need to do that. Um, so I started hosting pop-ups um, at a really cool space here um, called Frame. So they do rotating chefs um, that do their signature menus. Um, so I've done seven of those. Um, and the last five months, um, I just cook a lot, almost every day. <laughs>
0: you know, You know, it's amazing. It's really cool because I talk to a lot of people with creative careers, right? And so there's people like, for example, in acting and they'll have an agent who's constantly finding gigs for them. There's a lot of content creators and they might have management trying to find brands so that they can put together and like effectively generate income through advertisements of some sort. Um, You're in an interesting place because you're in food and this can go in 101 ways, right? You can, like you said, start a bakery. You can do catering. You can start a catering business. You can write a cookbook. You can also just do ads, right? On like your social media. How How do you think about your primary focus in terms of the platform that you have and how do you see it evolving?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. I love that we're talking about it because I think it's really important to talk about the business of our creative careers um, because it's not talked about enough and there aren't enough resources out there, I think, especially for people in culinary arts. Um, so for me, i um, I'm trying to figure out what my sweet spot is right now. So it's a lot of experimenting. So I say yes to all the opportunities that come my way, um, even if I'm scared and I don't know what I'm doing. So cooking for 300 people for a nonprofit in Oklahoma, sure, I'm gonna do it. I don't know what that looks like or what it's gonna feel like for me, but I'm gonna jump in for the opportunity try my best and then like check in with myself after. Like, did I enjoy doing this? Was it too stressful? Was the money worth it? Travel worth it? You know, being away from home, being away from Hannah. I'm going to still do ads. I don't love doing ads because I don't want my Instagram to feel inauthentic, but it's a really easy way for me to generate money and keep my creative career going. So I do it, but I know long-term that's not like, I, I, I never really, um, found my voice in the creator online space like being a content creator it just always felt forced to me and I tried to get like on schedule like okay every Monday I'm gonna film three recipes and these are it just did't feel good it felt forced to me um I'm much more like authentic in how I want to display my food so you know I Broke open some pomegranates and uh, persimmons yesterday night. So for today's content, I'm like, I'm gonna make like a fruit board. So I'm gonna go to the grocery store, get some stuff. I have to buy them, unfortunately. We don't have those kind of trees in Michigan. Um, and then I'll put something out today. But that's really how I go about creating my content. Um, I'm, I don't know if you're like a zodiac person, but I'm an Aquarius. I truly am a feelings person. If I feel like doing it, I'm gonna do it, and it's gonna be great. And if not, then it's not gonna work. Um. But for now, like my mindset is I need to learn as much as I can about the ins and outs of a kitchen and a restaurant and learn from people that have been doing it a really long time and see if I can, if I even want to open a restaurant, a bakery, is it going to be a cafe and what that looks like. So right now is a very intense learning period. I have five journals stacked in front of me um, with all my notes. (laughs) No, it's amazing. And it's
0: amazing that you're so transparent about it because I think that, I mean, as you have kind of noted earlier, content creation is, it it could very easily become a full-time job sitting and thinking about how to produce the recipes. And it's effectively a digital cookbook, right? Which is like all the work required with that. Um, I now record on Sundays and I lock the doors. So I think in every episode you hear my kids uh, somehow find me. But anyways, uh, (laughs) as you hear Camille in the background. So I think it's pretty cool to think about it. And what's fascinating too is like you're in this moment, right? where you have this national recognition. People know who Amanda's plate is. You've built this platform and you can go very like hyper locally and build some sort of a bakery, or you can go super globally, but not have people actually taste what you make and teach them how to make what you make. And you're at this incredible crossroads, or you could say, you know what, I'm going to be a reality TV person forever. And you can keep finding these shows and, you know, maybe work your way through this circuit. Um, So there's all these different opportunities and options. And I think that's why I love talking to creatives is helping kind of help helping myself understand how they think through all these various outlets.
1: I love that you just like break it down that way Um, because in my mind I'm like who like all of these things that I'm doing it makes sense to me it's nice and affirming that it makes sense to someone like you who i think brain works a little bit differently um just given what you do and the incredible i mean you are super creative too and i love your tiktoks we have to put that in there because if you're <laughs> not following around tiktok please do um but even like you know your linkedin um uh, advice and tips and interview tri- things i mean i worked a professional career for 10 years so like those things still relate and i'm like okay it would just be easier if I went back to, you know, a nonprofit executive role. Um, I built myself to that level by the time I left my career, I can easily jump back into that, but I'm like, do I want to do that? And I don't, um, because I found something that makes me feel alive and happy and that's feeding people. Um, and it's not, you know, just sharing the recipes online. And I realized that I love when people make my recipes, that's like the greatest, like honor I'm like yes I'm winning um but I feel like there are a lot of barriers to people creating food the way that I create them because sometimes I you know I do use 50 ingredients and I can make the super simple things to appease to a larger audience but that's not me and I don't want to (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know it's incredible and also like the reality that um
0: we just can't ignore your Muslim identity Right, like I think like, that you probably the baklava probably looked really good, the cheesecake. I'm sure it did, but like amongst ten thousand people in the age of Donald Trump, like you were the one who was selected. And, and then you realize that and you kind of rode that wave and said, hey, neighbors come over and eat with me because I'm really not that scary. And so like you have this like public figure hat that you just cannot shake, whether you like it or not. You're not just going to be a normal girl from Detroit. You're going to be like a Muslim doing things for all intents and purposes, right? That are like more than just not being a terrorist because nobody's freaking, nobody like, I've never met a terrorist in my life, right? Like a lot of us are doing a whole lot more than the baseline of meeting you know that, that bar. Um, so you have this identity component that whether you like it or not, you, you can't shake because of the choices you made to dress effectively, right? And so is that something you think about a lot in your
1: work? Um, it's I love that you bring that up. Yes, it is. And I think about it in the way that I'm like, I feel God has given me these opportunities and this platform and has created this public figure, as you say, for a reason. And I don't necessarily know exactly what that reason is, but I can't shake it. Um, it's, you know, wherever I go, whoever I meet, we're connecting and it's powerful. And my presence is powerful. My voice is powerful. No matter, you know, what insecurities or any, anything around me is trying to minimize that, my voice is powerful. Um, and I'm going to use that in food. And because it's what I love and what I'm really good at. And we'll see where that lands me.
0: You know, it's interesting because like growing up, you and I are probably close to the same age and growing up, we probably heard the same narrative. I also grew up in a community that was pretty liberal. Honestly, like I grew up in Southern California. There was a lot of Muslims, not like Dearborn, but we weren't that different from everybody else in LA. Right. Um, but I did hear a whole lot of like, "Oh, you want to wear hijab? Oh, you think you're going to be a lawyer? Who's going to like, I recall people literally saying, who's going to get a lo- let a lawyer in hijab like litigate? And these are like ideas I truly believed growing up because I'd hear them from people, not my parents, but I'd hear them. And I think what's happened to me and you is we stuck it through and maybe got more opportunity than we would have, right? (laughs) which is like kind of a plot twist. Like this isn't what we were optimizing for, but cannot deny it, right? And so it it is interesting and it's an interesting turn of events, but it also puts an extra responsibility on us um, because we have to be involved in kind of flipping this pretty terrible narrative, which I think you, I could say you've done very wide scale and successful level. Um, So I guess one thing I'm curious to know about before we wrap and figure out how people can find you and understand what's next is like at this very moment in time, as you're developing this incredible career in food, what does a week look like for you?
1: That's a great question. So it varies significantly. um, But generally, I do two events a week. Um, So this coming week, I have a cake class. Um, So I'm teaching people how to make uh, a cardamom spiced cake and how to build it so they can take it home and hopefully use that skill set for the holidays, for their families, birthday parties, all of that. Um, And then I do some private chef's work. So I go into my clients' homes, make their delicious, healthy, organic meals for them. Um, And then it's a lot of like book work, um, a lot of like business management stuff. So like all of the accounting and, um, and then another component is social media. So today I'll use time to create some content, um, before the week starts and then share it, post it throughout the week to keep people engaged and connected, uh, to my food. It's amazing. Cause I think what I'm really hearing is that people
0: have this idea and I'm, I'm thinking about somebody who wants to make it in food. They might have this idea that they just have to be good at cooking and like, yes, that matters, but That might be like 20 to 30% of it. And there's so much more. So if I wanted to start becoming a food personality today, what would you tell me to do? Which I don't for the record, but you know, for the listeners, if you're my investor and you're listening, I'm highly committed to my systems. But for the listeners who want to make in food starting today, what would you tell them?
1: Um, To find your voice and stick to it. Um, It's so easy to get lost in like everybody else, Um, but there's only one you, there's only one me. And that's what makes your food and your cooking Uh, unique and special. So share that. Um, But I love that you touch on like, yeah, like it takes a lot effectively. I, you know, a a small business owner um, and Amanda's plate is my business. So understanding the accounting and the financials of a business is key. I avoided it with my bakery and, you know, to my detriment. And now I'm like, okay, we're not doing that again. So learn your numbers, work on your books. QuickBooks is super easy. Um, basically plug and play, um, you know, pictures of your receipts and everything else. Um, super important and, um, stay on top of your social media. Uh, it's the way people connect. It's the way we are granted opportunities and, I learned so much from other people um, that I've connected with on social media. So if you see someone and you're like, oh, I really like what they're doing, send them a DM, build a relationship. Don't make it like inauthentic and like, hey, can you tell me how you make, you know, a million dollars a year? Like if they're a super successful restaurant or no, like build a relationship, be authentic with it and be curious. I think that's the number one thing. Just be curious. Yeah, I love that advice. Be curious for sure. Um,
0: What's next? What's next for Amanda?
1: Um continue cooking. And, you know, whether it's a TV show, um, whether it's a cookbook or a restaurant or all three, I'm open to them. And I am um, the eager student who is ready to take on anything. So we're, we're just getting started. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amanda. Where can people find you who want to follow this incredible, incredible journey? Thank you. Um, Amanda's Plate on all platforms. Uh, Instagram, TikTok, amandasplate.com is my site. Um, And I'd love to connect with you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show, Amanda. Thank you for having me.